Welcome to Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Peratzman. We wanted to talk about something else, but the conversation around Tolkien's incredible storytelling abilities took us in a much different and better direction. We think you'll resonate with this wide-ranging conversation about how human beings process their differences, what kinds of consciousness make that happen, and how music can teach us to do better than our default programming at all of it. We conclude this one with a short guided meditation to music. Happy Holidays! We'll be talking about all that and much, much more, as always, in these open conversations here on Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness. So I was talking to my barber uh, just about, you know, life and stuff. And we got into music and what I'm doing with music with them, you know, functional music, meditation music. And he's like, he's like, how about uh, psychedelics and music? Have you worked with that? And, I was, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I have, you know, yada, 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 go into some of that. And he just starts to talk about his psychedelic experiences. And it's a topic nowadays that, you know, I think not too long ago, only maybe a couple of years ago, if you brought up psychedelics with uh an everyday person i would say they're either going to be kind of lost or they're going to assume that you're just a hippie talking yeah, about head trip lsg tripping stuff. Out, man yeah. like you know that that old uh those, those those stereotypes right exactly yeah but because of the research and the of course now the legalization of it so that we yep. can research it which most people actually didn't know that in from i think don't quote me on the exact dates but from around 1977 to 2000 and Oh, 17 yeah. the, the 2018 it's stupid you were not it's so stupid and you were not allowed yeah it's a whole other podcast right there yeah. but you were not allowed to research psychedelics so when either major institutions or other people were like well you know well then why isn't it a medicine now or why can't one because we're not allowed to research it <laughs> so that's why we haven't progressed and now now that we have been able to start researching it legally you know since round 2017 that's why we've seen this explosion and this emergence of psychedelics in more mainstream medicine and then of course merging it with music and all that kind of stuff people are really starting so i'm just finding it the fact that i can go into my barber and have this conversation yeah and then also be a family things and and start talking about psychedelics and i'll get like my aunt being like oh what what do you know about microdosing? You know, <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> and, and I'm just I'm like, this is awesome that this is a now a conversation that isn't weirding people out. They're more curious, like, oh yeah, I've heard of this microdosing thing. What what do you know about that? Or you know, I, well, I've heard music is actually really essential to psychedelic therapy. I'm like, yeah, actually, really, it really is, and yada yada yada. So it's becoming more mainstream and in, in in the best way. And uh, I just thought that that was a nice interaction to see how the the collective consciousness is definitely shifting around the area of psychedelics yeah it's there's an openness to well maybe it's because so much of what we have been relying on doesn't work (laughs) you're not wrong there bill you're not wrong there (laughs) then great you know what it's uh you're only going to change as we, we only change as humans when things get uncomfortable. Yeah. Things are really not working, uncomfortable. Like, really uncomfortable. To the point of worldwide pandemic. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like we we don't like to we're kind of like hobbits a lot of the time. Like we don't like change. <laughs> we really, you know, if if we're we really have to be literally physically almost dragged out of our current situation out of to our make hole. a change. <laughs> yeah, out of our hobbit hole, right? We're actually listening, Chris, we're listening to the latest recording of the Hobbit. 
and it's read by the guy who voices Gollum in the movies. Oh, Andy Serkis. Amazing. He's amazing. I love Incredible. him. Incredible. The guy can sing. I didn't oh, know my he sing. oh my gosh. Oh my god. It's it is insanely good. And it's like you're sitting around in his house and he's telling you this story and all of the stuff that is Tolkien's sort of humor and asides and stuff is just so present in his reading. It's it's truly a beautiful experience. I would highly recommend getting oh, the Andy Serkin recording. Well, you're you're preaching to the choir here. So. I know. <laughs> it's just and, and you know uh, how well you know the Hobbit, right? Mm-mm. Like I thought I knew the right. Hobbit, right? And right, oh, it's it's such it's so full of life that I had never read myself, you know. Well, I mean, to, to, the reason these these stories I think last so long and are so strong is because you know outside of just the beautiful world that Tolkien created, he really did. He goes he goes on about really beautiful philosophical ideas yes. and and the movies that obviously Andy Serkis was a part of, especially the original three. Um, that were the strongest that won all the Oscars those movies have amazing lessons and morals uh, that are taught and I think that's also what keeps those stories so strong and relevant is that they're these ageless stories I remember in the return of the king and I I don't think this was in the book they lifted it or you know they did a great job of, of adding to to Tolkien and they sometimes took ideas that Tolkien had in other books and then just transposed them over to different you know characters yeah. sometimes they would take different lines of different characters Gandalf yeah, sure. would say something and they'd shift it over to like a and for the audience listening that's maybe not into Lord of the Rings I'll, I'll get to the point here which is um <laughs> are we, they, are we uh, gonna publish all this <laughs> yeah I'm like are we going into a Lord of the Rings discussion here but really the the moral of of this was that there's there's these beautiful moments of uh, of morals and, and philosophies being discussed in a major major motion picture yeah. which you don't always get I mean you always usually get there's themes and ideas that are conveyed through a film, but um, the, the morals and the and the themes that are in Lord of the Rings are so powerful. So there's in the Return of the King, a scene that always stands out to me is um, they're in the middle of the huge battle that's being waged against Minas Tirith, the city of men, uh, people, humans, whatever. Uh, a bunch of orcs are outnumbered a thousand to one. And yeah. it's it just like all hope is basically lost. And Gandalf and Pippin, uh, the Hobbit, are just sitting hearing like the smash of orcs trying to get through the doorway and you know that it feels like they're minutes away from their impending doom and their death and pippin looks up to gandalf and he's just like he knows gandalf has kind of died before resurrected himself he's he's a wizard so you yeah. know he might know something a bit about death and pippin asks you know gandalf like what happens what happens when we die he's like you know like what happens when it ends and then gandalf looks to pippin he's like end oh no it doesn't end here. The journey doesn't end here. Death is w- about one part of the journey, one part that we all must take, you know? And then like he describes what he sees when he died and, you know, white shores and a swift sunset and this beautiful description of the next stage of existence. And, you know, Pippin's like, Oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> really? And, right. You know, it's just like, it's, it's just another moment of many moments throughout that film that just bring you right to the core that's what art does so well what's what a good good story does so well is it yeah. just takes you to a core human idea and feeling and emotion that we've probably felt throughout our entire existence as a, as a species and that's never going to change you know that that feeling about like what does happen when we die like what what is this existence you know and uh, these these brilliant stories even you know harry potter and other like icons and massive successes they typically go into those and actually pretty good depth that's why they're so successful 
I think we learn so, better that way too. I mean, yeah. I remember lessons from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings that took me a long time to even encounter in other literature or spiritual writing, you know? I mean, there have been a lot of spiritual teachers in the world, right? And I count Tolkien among that pantheon because definitely there's so much. I mean, it's way more than just an allegory or a, a moral sort of telling of tales like Aesop's fables. It's so much richer than that. And being able to identify with various different characters and their issues and struggles and all of that and to understand how they make it through is something that's really incredibly powerful anymore. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go on a soapbox here and I'm not qualified to do this, but there was a reason that Jesus taught with stories. Mm -hmm. And yep. there was a reason those, those stories were told the way they were because they resonated with the people at the time who were listening to the stories, right? And needed to know. So they were, they were couched in Hebrew tradition because that was the audience. And that's a marvelous way to learn. It's the same. Buddha tells his beautiful stories the Buddha, same way. Socrates, Os Osiris, and Isis from ancient Isis, Egypt. Oh, Their stories, it, like one of the most ancient of all time. I mean, it just goes. It's so. I mean, it's forever, right? And, and the cool thing too that you made me think about with Tolkien is he also teaches um, about even things like diversity. You know, the the friendship of Legolas and Gimli. Gimli's a dwarf. Legolas is a elf, and they are notoriously not getting along yeah, with one another and you could you could take that relationship and translate it to so many different cultural divides that we have right yeah. whether it's i mean it's a million things that we're divided on these days so pick your pick your favorite but you know that idea there's a brilliant part in the third lord of the rings the return of the king where uh gimli the dwarf looks up at legolas and again the impending doom they kind of know that they're going to their death in this last final battle and he looks up and he's just like oh i never thought i'd die beside an elf and then you know Legolas looks down he's like well how about dying beside a friend and you're like oh man there you go yeah. like yeah. these differences we have are, are merely just that the differences they should be celebrated and at the end like you're a soul I'm a soul like let's just let's just live together you know as, as friends it's just like the whole uh, films of Lord of the Rings like one of their biggest morals are friendship like they yes. just hammer home the importance of friendship and it's and it's not just between different um, races within one species, but we're talking different species. Yeah, completely like different species. Elves, dwarves, orcs, like whatever. You know, everyone can coexist together. And I think that's just, again, a beautiful uh, example of that. I relate to, um, to Bilbo a lot because, you know, I'm not the one with all the degrees and the credentials and whatever else, but somehow or another, I can fix things when they're broken. And Remember that amazing scene where the eagles have rescued Thorin and the whole, and Gandalf and all of them from the burning trees and taken them to the top of a rock someplace. And, and Thorin is dead, basically, for all intents and purposes. And they land on the rock and Gandalf does some magic and Thorin comes back to life. And the first thing Thorin does after that, because he's been just a detractor of Bilbo from the start, is he goes over to Bilbo and... and basically clears the air. And I don't remember the exact line, maybe you do, but it is so beautiful when Thorin decides that he really gets Bilbo and he really appreciates him. It changes everything about their relationship. That isn't in the book, but it's so cool that they put it into the movie in the way that they did because it's it really solidifies that acceptance 
you know, seeing someone for exactly who they are and what they're good for and how they work with together with you is so rare these days, <laughs> right? And it's yeah, a central he, point of that movie. It's so important. He, he says something to the effect of like, you know, didn't I tell you that you weren't worthy? Didn't I tell you that you couldn't do this? And then he goes right up. He's like, I've never been so wrong. <laughs> there you go. I figured you'd you have know. a line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many, that's how like, many times has your boss ever come to you, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. With like the that, same observation. Didn't that's I tell you we're a piece of crap, Bill? You could never cut the money. We didn't even <laughs> believe we ought to hire you. I was so wrong. Right. When, when have you ever heard that? You know, I remember a moment in middle school. Like, this is how powerful and how rare it is for this to happen, where uh, a kid that um, I was in one of my classes and I uh, played a bit of hockey together. And we, I couldn't even tell you what the reasons were. We had an argument. He maybe said something to me. Couldn't tell you, but I felt I was pissed off at him. And, I was just like, I, I don't know, how could he do whatever he did? I don't even know the details. And I remember later later in the day, he came up to me like at my locker. He's just like, hey, man, I just wanted to say I'm really sorry. I, I don't really know why I did that. Um, you know, it was it was a dick move and I'm sorry. And um, hope hope that hope, you know, if you can just accept my apology, hope that's OK. And, you know, whatever. And I was just like, man, the fact that you just owned up to all of it. And we're so open about how you messed up and I'm not perfect either. So, you know what? Thank you. And sure. Like I feel immensely better now because you were just honest with what happened. And yeah. there, it's, it's like, you can always make amends. You can always, you know, it's never too late for any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I would, good old morals. I, I'm thinking about all of this because there's a topic I wanted to talk about for some other reason, and I wound up talking about a little of it with some relatives over the holidays. But if our world could change in only one way, it would be so great if instead of making hay with somebody else's consciousness level and holding it over their head and belittling them for it, we could just accept that and, and roll along, you know? It would grease the skids so much more than trying to force them to think a new way, you know, and hey, this is a podcast about consciousness. So we're kind of on the, we're kind of in the place where we wanted to be right now. You know, thank you universe for giving us the topic that you have. But uh, this came up because um, I have three kids who are non-binary and there was a shooting in Colorado Springs at an LGBT like nightclub, which was horrific. And of course, all the stories that spun out of that. But one of them was how the focus on the family, uh, sort of corporate wall was trashed by vandals. A focus on the family Christian organization. They've done so many things for so many families, but they're not like LGBTQ friendly because they don't feel it's biblical. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But you know, they're doing other good work, right? And how can we hold this one fact over their head and disregard all the good work they're doing in so many ways for so many people? You know, it's not up to us to dictate, you know, whether they should be of a particular consciousness or not. And, you know, trashing them for this one, one place where we might think they have some sort of hole in the consciousness wall, you know, it, it, it's, it's weird. It's weird to me because, and you and I have talked about this, Chris, when it comes to musicians, you kind of have to separate the music and the art from the person. There's a lot of musicians from Billie Holiday right on up who had terrible personal lives, just horrendous personal lives, and yet they performed and created at all costs 
And who are we to hold the fact that, you know, Billie Holiday was addicted to heroin over her head now, knowing what we know now about heroin and addiction, and somehow trash her art for it? Who are we to say the same about Michael Jackson? Okay, we don't like pedophilia. It's not a great thing. But he created this monumental um, catalog of outstanding work. You just can't ignore that, right? So it's a challenge, like to consciousness, to accept the art separate from the artist, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Even if you know, <laughs> even if you're convinced, as I am, that um, the basis for somebody else's beliefs is, is fallacious in some way, I can't hold that against them if they're doing good work. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. You have to be very paradoxical about this. And I'm just rambling here. But what are your thoughts about all this crazy? No, I mean, it, it, I'm right there with you, Bill. It goes into tolerance, like we were just talking about with Tolkien, you know, and how it's it's tolerance of, of so many different viewpoints on life. Um, I'm not just talking about tolerance of diversity, you know, phys of how you look physically or how you identify sexually or sexual orientation wise. I'm I mean, that too. I mean, I'm talking about all of the different spectrums here the the way that the the mainstream media and especially on social media love to just bl like every like black and white it, it is so binary on um the mainstream i find certainly that oh this person said this they're terrible they're done end their career end of story you're out yeah canceled and, and canceled done goodbye and it's it's it, the the thing that troubles me is that that typically happens for certain types of people or certain types of organizations that um, are if the mainstream narrative is we the mainstream narrative is we are against this particular type of person so anyone that is in that category you are now canceled if you do anything that catches the spotlight in that way you are, you are out and um according to what we think right like according we're the, we're to the, what the we're the arbiters the, of your uh consciousness and or i would say you <laughs> and i would say less than we i would say it's the uh the gatekeepers at big yeah, tech gatekeepers. and and influencers big, and big media yep. and influencers who are who are influencing the masses to then the masses think that oh yeah yeah i agree with that so yeah do you or is that a thought that has come out of you seeing it all over the news and all over social media, and now you believe it because you saw it all over the place. And yeah. is that actually your original thought? But even going back for a moment, for me, it's like with everything, with with COVID or with um, a million other things that have happened over the last couple of years, especially to see how we are more divided than we've ever been on paper, for sure. Um, I just go back to like consciousness, like we are, everything is is living and we're all coming from that same source of creation. So all these categories in in some way they matter from a very third dimensional su superficial um way where certain ways of doing stats and data collection it's important to have different yeah, categories it's convenient, and it, it's convenient it for certain scientific observations things like that but when it comes to social norms and and people and community and everything working together i think it's all bullshit yeah i think it just needs to we just need to get out of this idea of like how different you are from me and this different than that. I'm like, first of all, the differences need to be celebrated. And then we need to look at things with compassion, kindness and respect. And just, we really need to get to a place where we can have different opinions and different views. Even if those views are like, I cannot believe they think this, guess what they yeah. do. And they're still, they're still a living, breathing human. And yep. guess what? 
they're probably doing other things in their life that are wonderful and are beautiful. And if you only saw that isolated, you'd be like, oh, they're great, you know? But the fact that they have this one stamp of a category, you are a anti this or a pro that or a whatever you are, yeah. then now you're now you're considered dead to me in society and you can go F off or whatever, right? Like it's it's such a binary switch. And I'm like, life is not black and white. Life is very, very gray and it's complex. And we cannot just look at all these things and be and just slap a label on that person because that's how they are. It's ridiculous. We're way more complex. This is not a simple life. This is a very complex life and everything's always changing and evolving. So to just throw blanket statements and these huge generalizations at organizations or people just it baffles me because I think it's way too binary and too simplistic. Um, you know, that's where we that's where it's and that's dangerous because we know through history when you start to do that, it's a yeah. real good way to pit people against each other and create, you know, civil or well, you know, uprest, upheaval, wars, um well, unless and, you're and more you know, unless you're trying to create unrest. Well, uh, like, well, I mean, know, that's another like whole podcast. All the right media <laughs> is doing. It's like they're interested for some sort of military industrial complex reasons. I know. Oh, maybe I'm imagine that. Or an educational that's, industrial like complex. An, yeah, or any industrial complex. Medical, medical, industrial complex. You know, it's like they're all trying to just make money and keep us you know, subdued or something. I don't know. Uh, have, have you got a like a <sighs> bias detector? And what I mean by that is we tend to sort of uh, consume content that reinforces our biases. Yes, we do. Versus consuming content that challenges them. And it's much healthier, healthier, of course, to challenge your biases because that's the scientific method. So people who talk about science, science, like this is my bias and I'm scientifically sure that blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're scientifically sure, then you're not scientifically sure because you should be challenging. Yes. Right? So I can hear repeaters coming a mile away. But when I hear somebody who actually has an honest question it's very difficult for us to hear them because it's pretty noisy out there and those people are pretty quiet. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, I try to sort of focus my con content consumption on those quiet, good questions. And oftentimes it really does shake my biases and in good ways that they need yeah. to be shaken. You know, I'm, I'm not content to sit on bad facts. <laughs> what do we call them anymore? If something's not true, it doesn't work for me. Right. Yeah. So, um, and and one of the, so I'm getting along to this. One of the things that's cool about listening to music I don't know for the first time is that it challenges my biases. You know, even if that's a simple thing like, oh, hey, one, four, five, one. Eh, okay, so if somebody challenges a bias by throwing a two in there or if some flatted chord, it's like, wow, that's new. But it tweaks my mind enough so that I become a tiny bit more open. Yep. And maybe the next time that somebody comes along with their 251, 6251 progression, I'm going to go, well, wait a minute, that sounds awfully boring. I wonder why they didn't choose to modify that chord, you know, and, and start to think, like, how would I rearrange this now if I were to play it in mm. my own way? And mm -hmm. I'm using a musical example because it's something people can relate to. Who was, was it you telling me recently? Somebody was telling me that there's a chart out there that shows um, the number of chords used in pop music. And it's oh, trending toward one, <laughs> you know, a drone, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To san like san like a ancient Sanskrit or something. But you know, if you're if you're familiar with with ancient music or with jazz or whatever, I mean, Miles could improvise for a half an hour on one chord. Oh yeah, and it would sound oh, yeah. new every moment. But we're yeah. talking about like pop music here. Where so 
the, I, the, the point is, if you're just if you're numbing your mind down to a level of consciousness that can process three chords, you're not advancing your mind to a level of consciousness that can uh, that can process six chords, for example, mm -hmm. in a mm -hmm. in a particular song. And um, and I don't know, I, I don't worry about that, but I notice it, right? Because the open mindedness that we want. Uh, it's not all happy, happy, joy, joy. It's not all kittens and puppies. You've got to be able to feel okay with the hard stuff. You know, you've got to process the anger that happens when you hear about a shooting, you know, and people that are, are like people that you raised are, are killed because of this. You know, you've got to be able to have an open enough mind to sort of wonder why and challenge your own biases around that. Even if you are in a staunchly evangelical Christian church and you do not feel that that non-binary genders are a thing, if you are in a church like that, don't you also practice forgiveness? Right. And yeah. it's not by saying, oh, I forgive you because you're wrong. That's not forgiveness. <laughs> it's, I forgive you because I don't understand you, but I recognize that you're a person. Yes. Like, I forgive you, pop band that has got millions and millions of fans, for playing only one chord. And I understand that because look at all those fans and how happy they are. That's so cool, right? Right. It takes one chord, good. It takes one chord. You don't have to play six chords to, to rate in my book. Look at all the fans that are happy. You know, it's, if that kind of mindset somehow could apply in these ultra judgmental situations, you know, when it comes to like voting, um, wouldn't we be better off in some way? I would hope so. Of course. You know? And it's, it'd be it's... like the friend who forgave you, who who, um, who came clean at the locker was and was said, you know what, I own that. Mm -hmm. You can do that on and, a one to one, right? And it and it made me own up. I was like, you know what, I'm sorry for kind of instigating it. <laughs> oh yeah, right. And 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 that's what builds... I, I screwed up too because I'm not perfect, and it gives me permission to admit my non-perfect perfect attributes, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing to hide behind. There's nothing. I mean, you're not coming out to the world and saying, oh, I'm you're doing it one-to-one, -one, yeah. you know, in a way. And one-to-one and -one over time, you know, can, can make a change. I mean, it's, it's also just interesting with, it, it, I keep coming back to this like tolerance and this, this idea of almost, like for example, you know, just on this weekend, my, uh, I, was, I was with some family and um, my cousin slash my brother who I grew up with, He's my cousin, but we grew up together, so we're basically brothers. And he's just yeah. like, oh, I had some friends invite me out uh, tonight for some drinks. And he works in the video game industry. And um, and I just knew these kind of friends. I'm like, I really wonder what I'm going to have in common with them. Probably not much. And for that specific reason, I was like, yeah, let's, do, let's go. I was, I was actually more excited to go meet people that I might have a lot not in common with. Yeah. And... Yeah. I've been really trying to, you know, I know Jordan Peterson talks a lot about being not only disagreeable, but also being um, going into, especially with people that you disagree with and people that you really don't feel like you're anywhere near on the same page with. He's like, if you can go in and have an interaction with someone like that and go in with the mindset of there's always something I can learn from this person, yeah. you know? I don't have to agree with anything that they stand for. I don't have to, like, they can be so out left field and I'm in right field and we're just opposites here. But I know I can learn something. And when you go in with that attitude of like, okay, what am I going to learn from this person? 
you know, what a different approach than like, how am I going to beat this person in the argument? Because usually when you go into that, <laughs> you're usually, at least I in the past would think like, okay, what are my argument points? How am I going to oh, win in this debate? So if, true, if we, if, so if we true. get into a debate, how yeah. am I going to best them in that? Right. Instead yeah. I'm like, you know what, if that happens, then so be it. Let's, we'll, we'll, that'll happen. But I, I really want to go in and just like, so I start to get like, I just ask a lot of questions, you know, and, and then funny enough, I found so many areas that we had in common and it, and it just was such a beautiful example of it, it's all about, I mean, life, literally, we know through quantum mechanics is all about perspective. Everything that is in, is in everyone, everyone listening to this podcast, everything in your life is a product of your perception. I mean, quite literally, uh, we know this through science. It's not just hippie speak here. This is definitely well. Some of it's hardcore. hippie speak. I'm old enough to be hip speaking as a hip. Oh, I'm not actually. Yeah, and and I and I and I always do identify a little bit with that, you know, group to, to certain degrees, and and that's fine. I'm just saying it for fun because I know that's how sometimes people can can look at certain spiritual ideals and 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 philosophical ideas. But at the end of the day, we also have science to back it up now, and and perception is literally everything. Right? And it's so funny that the same you can be in the same city on the same day living completely different lives in terms of, oh man, today was awful. Oh, today was great. It's like, well, what made your day awful? What made your day great? Or even more so, you know, it's looking at, like, I, I just look back at a, at a, at a family gathering, for example, like a dinner and one person can be freaking out that um, the, the Christmas market wasn't running today. And we thought we would plan the whole afternoon on it and it didn't happen. And then the other person's going to be like, yeah, but look at like, we actually got to do these other things that we never knew about. Yeah. And look at look what a beautiful surprise, you know, it, it so you you know, one person can look at the exact same situation as another failure and the other can look at it as a total success. So it's perspective. It all comes down to perspective. I love your, your MO of like welcoming the, the novel, you know, let's do something else, like something different. Choose that. Yeah. Right. What's yeah. the Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, do something every day that scares you. Yeah. She said that, yeah. I think like it, it's that kind of an idea. And, you know, don't risk your life every day here. If you're listening to this. Talking about it could be a social thing that scares you, or you know, yes. post on social media if that scares you, or you know, whatever, right? Like, or looking at the push news yourself. for the first time in three months. Yeah, you know, that could be a scary thing too. You know, there's it's so always, much great scary. stuff in the news. I, I I tend to shy away from this, the you know, the really crazy stuff. But there's always something like way down near the bottom of the page that's intriguing in some weird way that I hadn't there's... expected to see. And um, sometimes it's funny. Um, sometimes it's like the guy. Did you know? <laughs> Don't ask me how I found this, but a guy set a world record recently. It was like last summer or something, maybe September, for the most miles covered riding in a pumpkin. <laughs> Get this world record, dude. Oh, man. Where do these ideas you know, come from? You no, know, you can go and you can look it up. And so I thought that was funny because, you know, I tend to look for news like that. And th that's the news that I'll share, right? <laughs> so I shared this news. There was a picture of the guy, you know, riding the Missouri River or something in this giant pumpkin. And he really did set the record. He could have gone longer, but he was tired. So uh, <laughs> I posted this well, that's thing. That's news. It, it is. And, um, you know, the, nobody ever really comments on what I post. But somebody pointed out that the guy in the photo looked a lot like me. <laughs> I, don't know. I, hadn't, I hadn't noticed that and no i don't have a uh you know a second life as some farmer in nebraska 
<laughs> Growing setting records for pumpkin <laughs> riding. Oh my god! But you know, um, that set off a whole long thing, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, whoa, that guy really does look like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you never know where these little rabbit holes will lead you, even if it is riding a pumpkin down a river. No, and it's like you said, it's it's good to expose yourself to other stuff. And you're absolutely right. You know, I always catch myself consuming content to actually just um, re reaffirm my existing ideas and beliefs. So yes, I think we I need that. You know, and that is really important. You want to have like, oh, so I'm not crazy. Great, that's always nice to have too. You need to have the balance. But then you know, it is important to um, to see the other stuff. And it's actually pretty easy with mainstream media. It's, it's hard to avoid. Yeah. It's hard to avoid. Um, it's out there. So it's, it's easy to just consume that anyway, just cause it's kind of always there, but you know, I try to like not begrudgingly consume it. I try to open mind consume just to make sure I have some blockers. Cause I, there's a reason I don't consume mainstream media is because it freaking stresses me out and causes Seriously. me a lot of anxiety. And I don't want to go down there either, but you know, like you said, it's a, it's a balanced thing. I, I read some fun articles on the World Cup, you know, by consuming that recently. So, you know, there's there's always, it's never black or white. I keep going back to this. Life is gray. Life is gray. It is a, yeah. an array, a kaleidoscope of colors. You cannot just say mainstream media. For someone like me, I would be really wrong to then just go out on a limb and say all mainstream media is corrupt. It's all lies. It's all BS. I'm wrong. Like, statistically speaking, that's not correct. That's not the way it works. And it's not the way it works. And, you know, and it's just, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. By the way, I, I should probably clear up something I said about biases because, um, you know, what we believe in stuff like that is really important to all of us. And as a sound healer, you'll be in this really, really quick. And as someone who's been in music self-care for a long time, there's a lot of what Chris and I do here that is scientifically evidence-based. And that evidence is growing all the time. Mm -hmm. But when you come to the spiritual side of it and you start talking about compassion and whatever, and, and science can measure the effects of that after it happens, but the triggers for that coming from music, uh, that's new. And mm. there's not a lot of science about this. I mean, it's not an area that research hard to measure. funding, yeah, it, it's hard to measure, but um, every so often a study will come along, you know, and whether I believe it or I bias that way, or it's something I intuit and I just offer and teach, it's really nice when the scientists show up finally with some little tiny corner of support for what it is that we do. And I noticed that happened recently. Uh, I was podcasting with a woman, a sound healer named Crystal Sun, and um, there was a piece of news that came along out of the research world that supported sound healing in a particular way. And it was so great to see that, you know, science is catching up, you know, with what we've been operationally doing for thousands of years. And uh, it, it feels good that way. But if I were to go out there and spend all my time looking for, you know, to confirm my bias about music and sound healing, it'd be a pretty empty ride because there's not a lot of scientific literature out there that supports that from a research basis. And yet it works, right? And it's always really phenomenal, you know, to be able to say to somebody, hey, if, if 6251 is working for you, then that's awesome, you know, but if you want to modify the two chord a bit, and that works for you. That's awesome too. It's not, you know, it's not going to change anything. It doesn't change my bias. It kind of like, oh, that's kind of tricky. That works for me, you know. So, um, if if that is is that clear enough? I mean, I didn't want to sound like I was coming across as some you know preachy biased person when in fact I'm exactly the opposite. It's nice to have the support, 
you know, but oftentimes it comes from our community rather than from the scientific world. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're making me now think of something where it's, there's also an element, I think in a lot of aspects of our lives where you're kind of going on intuition more than anything. And it's, it's, and for those listening, another way you can think of intuition is just feeling, you know, intuitions intricately linked to our emotions and our emotions, you know, typically we, uh, we really try to shy away from the unpleasant ones and just focus on the nice ones and, you know, whatever that really also means. Right. But I think we can all kind of agree that negative versus positive emotions, but the emotions are not there to be nice or to be not nice. The emotions yeah, just, are there to guide us. They're it's empirical. a GPS system actually. Well, so um, it's really how we can gauge our intuition is how does this make me feel? Angry, sad, happy, joyous, whatever, fill in the blank. And by leading with emotion and not necessarily having the science to back up why you think something is going to work because it's a feeling, that's where innovation lives. You know, uh, the greatest inventions in science or technology or art have all come from an intuition. It's all come from, you know, this sounds crazy. Let's give it a try. Let's see if this works. Oh my God, look what happened. Or I'm going to go for something completely different. Oh, I screwed it all up. Oh, look what happened when I screwed it all up. It's yes. something completely cool I never would have thought of. And you're going on a you're going on a feeling. And I think even for those listening too, like this can translate into different things, you know, making a big leap of faith in your life to maybe move uh, cities or something or sure. get out of a relationship or to get into a relationship. Yeah. You know, these 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 are not things you can lean on science for, you know, you got to lean on your intuition and your emotions and how does this make me feel? And that's something that is also <laughs> gaining traction in science and gaining traction in the more mainstream in terms of, yeah, listen to your emotions, listen to your, what you would call a gut feeling, which is another way of saying intuition, because we now know with heart math, with heart, brain, heart coherence, yep. the heart is a brain in every physical sense, as well as the spiritual sense and the brain and the heart and the other brains in our body. That it's a whole other conversation right there. But there's science coming out to show that, look, when you feel something, it's not just a feeling. It's dictating, uh, it's dictating information, it's receiving and, and dictating information and giving you an amazing sense of guidance of where you want to take this information, what do you want to do with it. And the brain is more of the brilliant computer that can crunch the numbers, that can organize those things. But man, that heart and your emotions, like that's what you want to be guiding a lot of the major decisions and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's kind of a, we're just getting the science in there, but sometimes science isn't there and you kind of have to just take that leap of faith and see, you know, well, I feel good about this. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. See if it works. I'm going to drop in the study thing. I know you haven't read it yet, but I'll keep it simple so that the oh, audience um, gets go, it. Spoil away. It's, Do it. No, it's, it's so cool uh, because what you're saying about the emotions in many ways is being supported by science. So this is a study of psilocybin and its effect on us. And to measure the effect, they use music. And to, to measure the effect with music, they said, okay, so how does a person feel with music before psilocybin and how do they feel after? And what they found was the emotions deepen. So psilocybin 
somehow deepens the emotional experience of the music. Well, duh, <laughs> you know, but then they went into some brain stuff on it. And, and this is exactly what you were talking about because they, they have suggested that the more we turn off our, our pattern matcher, our thinker, the closer we get to that spiritual emotional experience that's deepening for us. And um, this is why words like emotional intelligence and mindset all just make my blood boil because it has nothing to do with thinking, right? You can think your way into a great appreciation of music, but if you can't feel it, it hasn't reached you. That's all art is, is feeling. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like an organization of your feelings along some journey that the artist or the composer or the sculptor or whatever wants you to take. But you can't take it mindfully. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, that is a bit paradoxical, isn't it? It's wonderful. <laughs> so, so this, so this study. Can you elaborate a bit more? So, it's it's going into it is actually legitimizing more the emotional uh, depth that happens after a psilocybin journey uh, with the music. Is that what you're kind of? Yeah, at, and I'm I'm taking it to the next level. So, what the scientists wanted to do was to somehow determine the effect of uh, of psilocybin on the brain. And they were specifically interested in as part of a larger study for how this works with depression and other, you know, not so nice things. And so at the context of that, they set up an experiment to test how the brain would respond to a stimulus that would be deeply emotion generating um, before and after psilocybin. They chose music because music is such a fantastic way of, of looking at it. And they did fMRIs, they did all kinds of measurements on this thing so they could get it right. And um, they had some statistically significant things to report. It's not a hard study to read. Maybe I'll share it as part of our episode here or something. Um, but it's, you know, it's as scientific research is, it's kind of deep. But they were absolutely um, adamant about how our default mode of dealing with life, which we learn throughout our life, has to be short-circuited for any substantial change to take place, especially when you're intervening with depression or anhedonia or any of the other things that like, bring us down. So the fact that they got a deeper emotional awareness with music post-psilocybin um, revealed to them that one of the ways that psilocybin may work on depression is by releasing the pattern matcher, the default mode of our system just enough to allow us to look at something in a new way. And the deepening of the emotional responses was enough evidence for the scientists to say, aha, we can see that the pattern matcher has released its hold. The default mode has released its hold long enough for the subjects to experience this music more emotionally than before psilocybin. And for them, that was a huge indication of how psilocybin may work. To, to turn off our pattern matcher, turn off our brain, the cerebral co cortex, you know, to shut that thing down for long enough so that we can you know, feel something else that we're not, that we haven't programmed ourselves to feel like the default mode, to eliminate the default mode for just long enough. And um, I think that's why we all go to concerts, you know, Chris? <laughs> well, yeah, honestly. And I mean, you just feel so damn good at concerts uh, almost all the time, right? But I would say too, it's, it's, yeah, that's just really interesting research because yeah, is that cool? Yeah, you know, it's 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 nice to yeah, like you were saying before, have science confirm 
these things that I think we've we've felt quite palpably doing uh, different types of plant medicine, and you, you really do feel that. But to have the statistics after that confirm it are really fun. That's what I love about science is that it it takes that physical, tangible, you know, methodology and the true scientists out there all know that nothing is static in science. Yeah. I mean, everything is evolving and our understanding of reality is always, always changing. So even what we think right now probably won't be the same 10, 20, 100 years from now. So it's an evolving discipline, but it is always increasingly more and more interesting to learn about this reality through through science because you can test it. And that's like the beauty right. of it rather than right. just feel it, which is also very 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 important so that that's really interesting it's yeah. a nice it's a nice sort of um it, it's not a bias confirmer for me but it's nice to know that people in the hard sciences are working on these things uh, in ways that support what musicians have known all along what artists have known all along you know about their work and how it's supposed to get to the spiritual level Actually, what you made me think of before too, Bill, was um, one of the most common things I hear from my meditation workshops when I when I was doing one-on-one -on -one music healing sessions was I'm so in my head, <clears throat> I need to get out of right? my head. Oh, that's one so of the most common things I hear. I am in my head. I live in there, and it's freaking driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, the and, default. And mode, I can right? relate. And I can absolutely relate. Uh, I think everyone can to some certain degree, other than maybe some monks who are meditating nine hours a day. And even then, they're still human. But it is a very, 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 very big issue for uh, most of the people these days. I would say 90-something percent, 98 percent of people are way too much in their head. And I have to work at that diligently to to feel like I'm not going crazy within my head. I'm still very in my head a lot of the time, but I'm, I'm trying to be in my heart uh, an equal amount of that time, trying to balance those two to get together. And then sometimes through a good meditation, breath work, yoga, I'm not in heart or head, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, fully out. And, and, and psychedelics are also amazing. And I thought of a really interesting now analogy today about psychedelics where I always think of, a like, I love video games and I always think of our reality is a video game. And I know that that does definitely go into those, you know, holographic universe theories and things like that. We live in a simulation, and everything. And when you say we live in a simulation, it sounds very matrix and dystopian, but that's actually not necessarily a bad thing whatsoever. And that, the way I always see it, I'm like, well, first of all, think about the games that are developed that are beautiful, like Zelda's open world, you know, oh uh, or just a million other games that you know skyrim or whatever whatever game you're into that's an open world they're they're beautifully created worlds they're yeah. unbelievably gorgeous and like that's what i look at with our reality it's a beautiful simulation whoever this architect is that designed it like top top marks this is a gorgeous gorgeous reality but what i think about psychedelics is we're we're playing a virtual reality game. So I'm in the avatar character known as Chris Noble, who happens to like music and do all these other weird things and whatever. That's me in this character called Chris on planet earth in the time of the year 2022. And that's my character that I'm playing in this life. But when I take a psychedelic, it gives me a chance to almost take off the VR goggles, take off the headphones, put the controllers down for a moment, press pause on the game and go, you know, maybe take a, a bathroom break, go to the fridge, get some water, maybe take a nap on the couch 
come back to the game, put on this headset, put on the VR goggles, get back into the simulation and, and continue then playing just as we left off. I, I really think psychedelics, they do lots of things. And one of the things is they remove you to, to various levels of degrees, depending on how much you've done, depending on your attention, depending on how the ceremony and whatnot is run or whatever it is. But you can remove yourself from this holographic reality video game, whatever you want to call it, and get that that bird's eye view perspective or that that we have we've exited the game for a moment and we're yeah. going to take a little break and you're going to remember who the heck you actually are as a spirit as a consciousness and then you're going to go back into that physical beautiful body that we have these awesome awesome avatar characters that we get to play play in and I, I emphasize the word play yep and uh and then that's that but psychedelics are like that break it gives you that break from reality and especially being in the old head and again and in the heart, although you're very much in the heart a lot of the time with psychedelics, but sometimes you can go all, out of all of it. And that's where I really, I find it's just so fascinating to be in those uh, um, nirvana states, you could say almost. Yeah, where where things are separated from your preconceptions and biases, maybe. That's and I would feel, I would, for me. yeah, I use the word true reality, which is, I guess, yeah. a tough one to to quantify or to explain, but it's more of an experiential thing. Uh, you feel more connected than ever, yet totally disconnected from your body at the same time. And right. feel I feel like I'm home for the first time. Like I feel like, oh, this is where I'm from, or this is my true self, or what reality more or less is actually. And then I go back into the body and everything feels very limited and very compressed and all that stuff. And it's still beautiful, but it's different you know you're like oh, okay there's a lot lot a lot more to this quote-unquote reality than what we think hey just the fact we can take a step back is remarkable i don't know of yeah. any other living creature that knows how to do that yeah i mean until we can have better conversations with you know like the dolphins or something yeah, dolphins, like that whales. maybe these are pretty i think high, i think we underestimate the intelligence of a lot of animals um because they could be very advanced in just different ways that we don't understand i agree uh, but without going down that rabbit hole i would i would agree we're certainly one of the main ones on this planet and and certainly out of anything that we know of right now publicly at least um yeah we we are very, very lucky that we can do that and, and it's also a gift and a responsibility i feel that because we have these abilities we should really be looking into them more not just shrugging off like eh, meditation meh you know, psychedelic me, whatever, you know, like, well, you don't have to do those things, but you got to, I think that spiritual pursuit is, is so, so important. It's easily as important as it is to find a career that you love and be in a, a loving relationship, partnership, whatever, family, all, all the things that matter. Your spiritual pursuit is e easily just as important, you know, oh, yeah. whatever that looks like for you. It should be, I, I feel a component of everything you do in some way. Because it relates way. to everything you do in your yeah. entire life. <laughs> and for those who are listening, when I say that, I mean like spirituality, consciousness is uh, the same thing. Does that make sense? It's not really the same word. I don't want to split hairs on the semantics of it. But some people relate better to consciousness and some relate to spirituality. But I'm, the meaning for me is the same. You know, that, me too. That higher awareness of universal connection and all of whatever science can't measure. Basically. Yeah. And it's, and it's like exiting the matrix. It's exiting 
Pressing pause on the game. Pressing pause on the game. Taking My therapist break. likes to say, uh, Bill, you are the one who has chosen to be the one who is having the experience of this material world and all the stuff in it. Which is like, kind of like you were saying, like you're the avatar. You chose this character called Bill Protzman, yep. you know, yep. and you apparently, and I have a friend who remembers choosing her parents before she was born. Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah, yeah, she remembers it and she's an art therapist and has gone down um, maybe one day when we start hosting guests on the show, she'd be a great guest to have. But she uh, she remembers uh, choosing her parents uh, specifically. Um, I find that really fascinating. I've heard that many, many times before as well. And we do, again, bef- uh, to follow up on some science, we definitely have a lot about the NDEs, near-death experiences, yeah. and past lives. That's right. There's That's a right. ton of uh, really amazing research done by the University, I think, of Kentucky or something, some university in the States, I know they have a whole institute for like near-death experiences and stuff like that, where we're talking tens of thousands of people now, documented, researched, and medical. Um, the NDEs that happen in hospitals are, yeah, the hospital. are the best recorded because they are hooked up to all the machines and have tons of data to support that they were physically, legally, scientifically dead. And then yet, here they are. And here they are. Yeah. Here they are, defying it all. <laughs> yeah, I have a buddy, a veteran buddy, who was dead for 17 minutes. Oh, my. Um, that's a long time. Long time. And um, he's devoted his entire life since then. And it's been maybe 12, 13 years now to understand this and mm. try to unpack it in a way that will help other people know that they can step away from their avatar, right? Without, yeah. without, without harm. In fact, with, to their benefit to be able to do that regularly. He's working on his PhD. It's changed a couple of times, but the last time it changed, it went towards spirituality and consciousness. Oh, that's awesome. So and you're never the same after uh, an experience right? like that. Ever. Right. I mean, it's, it's so cool. It is so cool. I almost feel like a novice on this world. You know, I've, I haven't had any of these big peak experiences that the real seers have had, but uh, that's yet somehow, you know, we get to dabble in them. Yeah, but I think that's also so important to always have that mindset. Like, I am an amateur in everything I do, even with music. And I don't mean it to sound, to, to, to belittle my abilities, because I've yeah, that's well not what done it's over, about. No, I've done definitely over my 10,000 hours for sure on, on piano and music. But, you know, it's, it's just that, that um, mindset, like, we never know. Like, you don't really know anything. Yeah. And it's not and it's not in this, yeah, disrespectful looking down on you way. It's in a actually a highly like this is reverence. This is um awe and and respect for reality and the universe and the complexities of life and just being okay with knowing that we don't know shit. <laughs> that was my first conscious thought after coming off a mushroom journey with music, which I don't I don't know shit about music. It's humbling. It's, it's actually really beautiful. Humbling. It yeah. keeps you open to all possibilities then. You know, you're not, you're not pigeonholing your, your perspective or your, um, your way of being anymore. You're like, okay, I recognize that anything quite literally is possible. And, um, my only, the only limitation in our reality is our own minds and imagination. That's it. Shall we do a meditation? Let's do a meditation. So this meditation is study music, actually. Alpha waves, concentration music, brain power, relaxing focus music, all at 432 hertz. And it's by our very own Chris Noble. So uh, Chris will lead us in a little meditation here. Let's bring some music in. Thank you, Bill. So for those of you listening, let's just start off by taking three 
deep breaths. Try to make your exhales longer than your inhales. So at your own speed, big breath in through the belly. Allow your breath to tra travel up through your chest. Maybe bring it all the way to the top of your head and let it out. Through your nose, through your mouth, whatever's comfortable for you. Again, big breath in. Fill the belly up in the chest, maybe up to the top of your head and let it out. One more big breath in, in through the belly, up to the chest, maybe up to the top of your head, and let it out. Now you want to find your own rhythm of breathing. Find your own pace, a breath that is soothing and relaxing for you. I want to take a moment to just ground yourself in this moment right now. We were talking a lot about the busyness in our minds. So let's just start to imagine roots growing out of our feet, where whether you're sitting or lying down, roots start to grow out of your feet, your legs, traveling into the earth, into the cold, damp, soothing earth, deeper and deeper into the core of the earth. You feel these tree roots just continuing to grow out of your body into the earth, into the earth, until you reach the core, the molten hot core of the planet. And then you can start to feel those roots wrapping around this core, feeling the heat and the warmth from the core of the planet and the, also the grounding energy, embedding your roots into the earth feeling the energy from the core rising up through your roots into your body feeling grounded feeling very secure taking this soothing energy from mother earth now with every exhale i want you to imagine that you're blowing out you're exhaling all the stress anxiety heaviness anything that you're carrying around with you that you don't need anymore let that out in each exhale and let the earth take that energy exhale through your feet through your legs into those roots that you've created into the earth letting all of this energy go into the earth grounded neutralized out of your body and your energy body on your inhales you're inhaling positive life-giving energy from the planet from the cosmos from life around you your inhales bring in positive life force energy your exhales expel any negative energy that doesn't serve you anymore Inhale positivity, exhale negativity. Inhale life force energy, exhale heavy energy that doesn't serve you. Just keep following your breath. In and out. If you feel your mind be Come busy with thoughts. Compassionately 
bring your attention back to the breath. Remind yourself that this is your time. You're giving yourself a much needed break from the busyness of the mind. You deserve it. Slowly bring your attention back to the space that you're in, wiggling your fingers, toes, reminding yourself that you're in this beautiful body that you chose, bringing yourself back into the room. And when you're ready, giving yourself thanks, thanking yourself for taking the time to give your mind a rest and to give life force to your being. Thank yourself. Give yourself some love and open your eyes when you're ready. Always love that, brother. Thank you. Same, same with you. I always love it when you, it's fun to go off and back and forth guiding, you know? Yeah. It's a great skill to have. I think with what we're doing to it, it's always just good to practice, you know, more and more guided meditation, I think. Yeah. All practice is good. I, in that study that we were talking about, uh, there's a reference to uh, Bonnie. So Bonnie is one of the first practitioners of guided meditation with music. And she was doing this back in the seventies. Wow. And I I saw them make this little nod to her and I just thought, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> you know? And so well deserved, right? So well deserved. What a long tradition we've enjoyed that's supporting us to where we are today and you know, allowing us to do what we do now. I mean, so these... thank God it's trendy now. <laughs> True, right? Well, now it's right? trendy. It's, it's finally not... trendy. <laughs> it's well, one step that, away from being popular and then you know everybody will be doing it <laughs> well Yay! you know what if it, i'm all for it me I'm too all for it me let's too. do it hey happy holidays brother I, I will talk again probably before uh you know the actual christmas holiday for those of you who are listening we have one yeah well we got one more before the end of the year so um thank you all for being here and thank you chris for taking some time with me and doing this thank you bill Yep. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, have a beautiful uh, winter holiday wherever you may be in the world. And uh, yeah, always remember it's the most important thing you can gift yourself is time and space to just be in peace and silence. And it's one of the hardest things we can now do, uh, but you're worth it. You know, you are worth that time. So much love from our uh, beautiful podcast here. Thanks again, Bill. That was, that was a really awesome talk today. Good to oh, see you. So welcome, man. Aho. Aho. Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Sarah Huchaya.